Well, Happy New Year. How are you doing? It's good to see everybody. Uh, if you don't know me, if you're new, you just like came, started coming here since Christmas, and my name is Brian Jones. I'm the pastor here. We want to welcome all of you who are new. We want to, obviously, it's great to see everybody kicking off the new year uh, on such a great day. We want to welcome these, those of you who are joining us online. Got a question for you. Are you the kind of person that's easily succumbed to peer pressure? Yes or no? Lean over really fast. Tell the person you're next to. Yes or no? In 1951, there was a professor of Swarthmore, Professor Solomon Ash, who was a professor of psychology, conducted a, a, a study that has since become a famous study in the field of social conformity. And the study was simple. He invited a student of his to come to a, an experiment. They didn't call it an experiment. He said, I want you to come and be a part of this study with other students. And this, this student uh, came to his classroom, and then there were other people that came. There was a small group. It was just this one student that was there with another student. And then another time, there was one student with two students, another student with three students. And eventually, there was so many different variations, there would be one student with an entire room filled of students. What this one student didn't realize is that everybody else in the room was an actor, they were actors that were paid to be a part of a social experiment. And the experiment went like this. The people in the room were shown this picture. On the left-hand side was the standard line. And the people that were in the room were asked, is line number one, line number two, and line number three, is it taller than the standard line or is it shorter than the standard line? They were shown 15, 20 slides. Everybody would individually on their piece of paper write down their responses, are, which lines are taller, which are shorter, and they would go through all of the slides. And then after all of the slides had been, been they went through all of the slides, um, they verbally went around the room and everybody shared their responses. Now what was interesting, unbeknownst, to the real student that was there, all of the actors who were students as well, but the actors were paid to give false answers. In other words, when they asked, is line number one taller or shorter than the standard line, their answer would be, it is shorter. Or if you remember from the slide, can you bring it back up? The picture, obviously, it is taller. Slide number two. Is it taller? Is it shorter? Is it the same? Line number three, what would be the answer? So they did this, and what he discovered was when there was one student with one other student and that one paid actor gave a false answer, what do you think the real student did when the false answer was given? Immediately turned around and said, that's not right. That's obviously. Can't you see this? There is this. When there were two people in the room, how did they respond? Same. Gave a little bit of pushback, but there was, there, was a, there was a little bit of hesitancy. When there was an entire room filled of paid actors and 12 people in a row said line number one is shorter than the standard line, there was an interesting phenomenon. When it got to that person, the person would say, I think my eyes are playing tricks on me. I wrote down actually that it's taller when in reality it must be that it's shorter. And this across the board was the responses of all of the students that came to his experiments, thus proving that 
First of all, we are social creatures. And second, we are not as prone to standing up for our beliefs as much as we think we are. Now, I saw this firsthand on New Year's Eve. Lisa sent me to Giant with a list of stuff to get for for New Year's Day for our dinner. And so I was going through Giant, and I walked by the vegetable section. And I couldn't help but noticing that there there was a massive amount of celery on display. So I took a picture put it on Facebook, and I asked this question. Why is celery still a thing? I literally don't know one person who likes this stuff. Put it on Facebook, let it go. I went and spent uh, a good bit of time shopping. I came home. I opened up Facebook. 211 comments later. There was a bloodbath on Facebook last week that you didn't realize was going on. People were duking it out on the viability of celery. Now, I obviously was not arguing against green vegetables. There's nothing wrong with green vegetables. I'm just thinking there are better alternatives for green vegetables. Help me out. What are green vegetables that you can eat that are better than celery? Spinach. I hear guava. It's a fruit, isn't it? Right? Spinach, broccoli, asparagus. Help me out, people. There's a lot of them. So anyway, fortunately, I look on Facebook, and I was immediately uh, defended by my friend Tim, who said this, gave this insightful critique, it's gross and serves zero purpose. But then immediately, Daniel came in with this zinger. You can't make most stews, soups, pot roasts, meatloafs, etc., without celery. Good point. But thank goodness my friend Rose shared this theological insight. I give you an amen to that. Celery is a creation of the devil. No sooner did Rose share that, but my friend Doris came back and said, love the crunch. And then Tina, my friend Tina, if you're here, might have been previous service, shared a picture of a sloth eating celery. I can't figure out, is that pro-celery or is that anti-celery? So we're going to do a little experiment and social conformity ourselves at CCV right now. I need you to lean in next to somebody in your row, and I need you to share whether or not celery is awesome or celery is gross. Go right now. Duke it out. Okay, all right, do we know? Okay, listen, again, we're not arguing against green vegetables. We're just saying there are better options than that. So that said, a lot of discussion there, a lot of brawling going on. I want you to raise your hands if you're like Jesus and your pastor and you do not like celery. Raise your hand. Look around. Look around the room, people. Celery needs to die. It needs to die. It needs to end. Go ahead and put your hands down. Now I want you to raise your hands if you want to go to hell and you actually like celery. Look around. Listen, there's no possible way that you people are not giving in to social pressure. Now listen, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can't see what's going on. 
the people that raised their hands and said they like celery, ugly people in the church. So <laughs> what's really scary, what's really scary about this is that peer pressure affects not just individual choices. Peer pressure can affect what we're giving our lives to. Like everyone is giving their life to something. Whether they can identify it or not, everyone has a purpose for living. It may not be the right purpose, but everyone has a direction that they're heading. And whatever you determine as your end goal in life will usually determine the choices that you're making in your everyday life. That there should be consistency between what you're doing today and what your end goal is. Now, you're going to find it very interesting for those of you who are new. You just started coming here at Christmas. Jesus was not too interested in the smaller individual choices. I mean, he was. He was obviously interested in right and wrong and what we did. But you're going to notice when you read the Gospels is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that Jesus never talked about. And that's because Jesus' assumption is that if he could help you settle the question in your life and find your mission, that if your feet were headed in the right direction, you, with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, could figure out a lot of those individual choices. His concern was to make sure the big question was answered. And then surely, with, the, with some of the examples he gave in Scripture and with the precious um, wisdom of the Holy Spirit that, that gives us life and direction, we could figure out the rest of the stuff. So that said... Today and next week, what I'm going to talk about is clarifying our purpose in life. Your purpose and my purpose. What your end game should be, where your feet should be pointing. And I'm just going to give you a little hint before we get into it, that Jesus believes we are settling, you and me. That you and I are settling in our lives. The great spiritual writer C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Look what he says. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So today, that's, that's why we're starting a new series. We're calling it Made for More. And we're going to clarify what Jesus is calling us to do and by default what the church is being called to do. Now turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Um, uh, for those of you who are brand new, just wanted to let you know, every time we come together, our service is roughly about an hour And about half of that we devote to studying the Bible. We believe the Bible, written 2,000 years ago, 66 books, is God's instruction manual for how to make life work. And so what we do is we always take part of the service and we study it together. Two ways for you to look at the Bible. Whenever we come together, we want you to have the Bible with you. If you're a hard copy person, bring your hard copy Bible. And we have free copies outside in the stand there. If not... um, you can pull your phone out and you can pull up the Bible verse on our Bible app. Um, you can go to iTunes, you can go to Google Play, type in CCV Mobile. You go to the right-hand side where it says Bible, click that and it will bring the Bible tab up. You just need to promise you're not going to check your social media when you should be listening to the sermon because if you do that, your phone will blow up. Just a little warning there. So 
We're going to look at Matthew 28, the ending, the ending of Matthew 28, but a little context. Bef- what happens immediately before this passage is that Jesus came to earth as a baby. We celebrated that two weeks ago at Christmas. 5,500 of us, larger part of our community, came together. And then he, as a, as a grown man, went on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and started calling people, I want you to come and follow me. I'm going to teach you to fish for people. He trained them for three years, died on a cross as a part of God's plan, and then the last thing he said is he looked them in the eye. He said, everything that you've seen me do for three years, you now are going to do. You're going to repeat the process. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am am the authority in the universe. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That is your purpose in life. You know, a lot of people are like, God, why did you create me? What's my purpose? That is your purpose. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. There's no need to get before, oh my gosh, God, what are you trying to help This is why God created you. This is why you're here today. This is your purpose in life. Now, what does this mean? Go and make disciples of all nations. Who are the nations? Nations is a a Greek word, ethne, which is used for pagans. Um, How many of you know pagans? All of us were pagans. An ethne, a pagan is simply someone who lived their life outside of Jesus. We all started that way. So we're to go and we're to find every single person that is living without a relationship with Jesus, and it says we are to make disciples. Now, the word disciple is an interesting word. It means a learner, that we're to learn from Jesus how to get to heaven and how to live before we get to heaven. That's what it means to help someone become a disciple. Now, is there anything more important? Can you think of one thing that is more important than spending every waking hour of your life helping people become disciples of Jesus. Now, I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I've learned there's one thing that people want out of life. They want to cry. Tell me I'm wrong. People want to cry. Now, what I mean by that is they want to be involved in something, they want to give their lives to something that is so important that when they see the change that comes about in their life and other people's lives, they are so moved by the result of it that there's this emotional response, that there's a validity to their life. They matter because they are doing something that matters. Many of you are depressed because you are doing something that doesn't matter. As one person said, the best definition of failure is being successful at something that doesn't matter. And when you know that you're doing something that doesn't matter, of course you're going to get discouraged. Of course you're going to get depressed. God puts you on this planet to make disciples out of every single person that doesn't know him. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of this. 
I have a friend who's a pastor of a large church, Central Christian Church in Las Vegas. His name is Judd Wilhite, and um, their church is a lot bigger than ours. Um, Their church is passionate about the same things we're passionate about, about giving everybody a second chance, about being a welcoming place for anybody and everybody. There's no perfect people, no holier-than-thou people. We're all figuring out together. That's the kind of church this church is. I was watching him on social media, and he shared this story about in their church lobby. They had this big party, and um, I couldn't figure out at first what it was. There was just a bunch of people in the lobby. It's like, this is what I love about our church. And there was this red carpet there, and then there was a door over here and a door over here. And the red, the red carpet goes all the way to this door, and all of a sudden, the door opens up, and out walks this good-looking guy, clean-shaven, but it was clear because I had seen some previous videos, he was incarcerated. And I realized that everybody in the lobby that day had a hand in helping this man. They were involved in going into the prison and conducting church services. They have started a campus in the prison. Their services are piped into the prison. They have people going into the prison to lead Bible studies and help these people and doing what a Christian ought to be doing. But that's not what made me emotional. What made me emotional is that another door opened over here, and it was his daughter. And she came tearing down the carpet. Huge hug, just like these videos you see of people from the service coming back and greeting their kids. I'm watching this video, and I'm bawling. And then another one comes out, a mom and her three kids, and they're running, and they're just embracing. The police officers are releasing these people out of prison at the church because the church was so involved and instrumental in their lives. And I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, my gosh. All of these people were involved in helping this family, these, the, the single mom, what? Well, they were all involved in helping this, and now that they're out, they're joining the church. And I thought to myself, why aren't we doing this? And then I asked myself another question. If only there was a prison near our church. (laughs) If only. But there are two prisons near our church, right? If only Jesus had mentioned this somewhere in the Gospels. Oh yeah, he did. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Pretty clear, right? Here's a question. You're not committing to this, but at some point in 2019, would you be interested, would you be willing in some way, shape, or form being a part of a children's ministry where we would help families like that start their lives over again? If so, just kind of raise your hand. Look around the room. We're doing that in 2019. You can help me be a part of it. We're really going to do this. Tell you another story. A friend of mine is a pastor of a large church, and... uh, um, he had a, um, a dance at his church. Now, you got to realize, how many of you come, for church, come from churches in your background where dancing was a sin? Raise your hand, right? There was no dancing at our wedding. We did a wedding the way God intended. You went to the back of the church. You had cake and then you left. There was no dancing. There was no alcohol because we were not going to hell, right? That's just the way we were brought up. 
this guy goes and he has a big dance at his church. And I'm realizing, what is, what is going on? The church, whole church was decorated. And there was this red carpet coming from outside. And um, there were cars that were dropping off kids. And then I realized, oh my gosh, after the third person comes out, these are kids with special needs. Where all during the year, they're on the fringe of their proms, on the outside looking in, they created a prom for all the kids struggling with special needs. And so they were in the lobby. The lobby was packed with people, cameras and film, snapping pictures, clapping for them like they were paparazzi coming in. A ball and the big ball in the middle with the lights and they were dancing and that sort of thing. Um, It was called Night to Shine. I found it was sponsored by the Tim Tebow Foundation. So I had one of our staff members. I was like, call Tim Tebow. See if we can get in on that. So we did. And February of 2020, we're doing Night to Shine right here. We're going to do that. So, like, raise your hand if you would like to be a part of that. Like, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Like, why are we doing this stuff, right? Is there anything that, is, that would possibly be more fulfilling than creating disciples? Is there anything that would be more fulfilling than becoming friends with that person who's like antagonistic towards God? You work with this person, you're like, There's, I'm telling you right now, there is no way in the world that this person, this is the last person on my floor or in my division at our company that is possibly going to be interested in church. Can you imagine what would happen then? You become friends with this person. You, they eventually come to your church, and then you become f- closer friends, and you realize you start having some, some deeper conversations, and then eventually you're here in 2019 baptizing your friend in our baptistry, and then their whole life changes, and their great-grandkids grand, their are looking back at the moment when this person befriended my grandfather or my grandmother and changed the whole story of our family tree. Is there anything more important than giving your life to that? Why don't we do this? Why do we settle for making mud cakes in the slums, proverbably? Proverbably? Proverbably. You know what I'm talking about. Why do we settle for that? We have the holiday offered to us at the sea. So Jesus sees Peter and Andrew on the shores of Galilee. He looks him in the eye and says, I want you to come follow me, and I'm going to teach you to fish for people. And what he was saying is like, listen, we're going to have to eat. You're going to have to still work some. You're still going to go out and fish sometimes. Like we're going to have to put food on the table. But there's going to be something now more important than your job. Listen, um, so I wanted to announce something today. We have a new mission statement for our church, which is really, it's a rewording, it's a clarification for the mission of our church. This past July, I announced that we were going to start something that was going to change the life of our church, that we were going to look back on last July as the start of something that decades from now we're going to look back that this was the change in the life of our church, and I truly believe that. I shared that I've become committed to this weird practice where I get up 3.30 in the morning, um, I eat two eggs and a couple blueberries, and I read scripture, and I pray for a couple hours. 
and I had been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm, I was in first grade, I was in the slow reading group, so I, I have only made it through the 11th chapter of Matthew, right? Um, I have a tendency to like really fixate on a word and pull out commentaries and look at it in the Greek and that sort of thing, so I've gone from Matthew 4 to 11 in 52 weeks. But I've noticed in the Gospel of Matthew that there is a word that comes up over and over again. If you want to be my disciple, you have to do this. We're going to go and we're going to make disciples. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to pick up your cross and you're going to follow me. So we're going to have a new mission statement as a church, and it's really simple, nothing fancy at all. It's this. Our mission as a church is to make more and better disciples. That's it. Our goal is to reach every single person in this region that doesn't know Jesus. But when they get baptized, that's when they become a disciple. For those of you who have been Christians a long time, you have a tendency to think of discipleship as you become a Christian and like maybe like two, three, four years in, you join the honors program and you get serious about discipleship. They're like the Navy SEALs of Christianity, right? We're going to become serious about discipleship, right? Discipleship is something that happens at conversion, at baptism. Like, disciple is the only word the Bible uses to describe followers of Jesus. The word Christian only occurs three times in the New Testament. Every single time it was being used by people who weren't followers of Jesus. Or if someone was quoting, like in Peter, non-Christians. The word that Christian leaders used to describe ourselves was the word disciple. And I got to be honest, 18 years ago when I started the church, I thought disciple is a weird word. Like if we use it, you know, people associate disciple with cult and Charles Manson. I'm, honestly, we started the church, the last name Jones, you know, people are, there was all kinds of things. So I was like, we're just not going to use the word disciple. We're going to use the word follower of Jesus. But I think that making that decision has robbed the church of something. And the culture has robbed that word from us we're, so we're going to steal that word back. Because as, as, um, as one, of my, one of my favorite writers says, the New Testament is a book by and for disciples of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. A disciple of Jesus is marked by growing in our love for God, growing in our love for each other, growing in our love for people that are hurting, and growing in our love for people who are far from God. Like, it, honestly, it's easy to get excited about having a night to shine, but it's really hard to stay committed to reaching our friends who aren't Christians because that's a much longer and less, less sexier process. But that is absolutely essential. That has to be at the front burner. Here's the reason we're making this our church's mission statement. If you get nothing out of what I talk about today, get this. Making more and better disciples is your mission statement for your life. The only reason the church is going to use this as our mission statement is because we want to be successful as a community in promoting, championing, and helping you be successful at your mission to make more and better disciples. That's the only reason why we're we're making that our, our mission statement as a church. Come, follow me, Jesus Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because we're all doing different things. Some of you are students. 
Uh, some of you are stay-at-home moms and dads. Some of you are grandparents. Some of you are, are, are working in the sense of a, of a paid career. Um, you have something that you're... Fo- All of us have something that we're doing that is important. That's going to remain important. But the reason, for instance, you have been given a platform, let's say, as a certified financial planner, is not to just be a certified financial planner. The platform that you've been given is the opportunity to use being a certified, a certified financial planner to make more and better disciples. The reason you're in um, um, college or you're in graduate school is to use this platform that God has given you to make more and better disciples. The decision about what you're to do with your life is already settled. The question where, that's a different question. Some of you right now are doing that just at home. Some of you are doing it in the community. Some of, some of you are doing it in your job. However you express that, your purpose in life is to make more and better disciples. And so you'll notice on the front of our building that we put this phrase, made for more. Now, we did that last fall, but we noticed we didn't, never said anything. We just wanted to put that out as a teaser. This is going to become like the, the catchphrase for our mission statement. What do I mean by that is, you're going to see in a, our website that's going to be active here in a few weeks. It's taken this website forever to get this together. But hopefully it's going to be user-friendly. It's going to be helpful. And you're going to see on the homepage of the website, you were made for more on that. It's going to be everywhere. We're going to talk about it all the time. This made for more is a shorthand way to talk about your mission. So, for instance, if you're here and you're far from God, you were made for more than just working nine to five. And just like going on vacation and trying to come up with stuff in order to make your life essentially creating distractions for yourself. You were made for more than that. If you're a new disciple, you were made for more than just attending church. If you've been a disciple for any length of time, you know that you've been hungering for more. This is the more. This is your purpose. This is our purpose. And so that's why I can't tell you how excited I am about what God is going to do through all of us in 2019 and beyond. And I want you to come back next week so I can flesh it out in more detail, share some ideas we have and some opportunities that we're going to have to make more and better disciples together. Let's pray. God, as you walked that day on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, You looked at Peter and Andrew. And they were really successful at what they did. But you knew they could do more. You knew that they were made for more. And so you asked them to follow you. And the first thing you did is you took them to a whole bunch of hurting people, blind people, people with leprosy, people who were outcast, prostitutes, people begging And they just watched you do this for three years. Helping people far from you grow into a relationship with you. And after three years, you died on a cross, rose from the dead, and you looked at them in the eye, and you said the same thing you're telling us. Now it's your turn. Go and make disciples of me. And so, God, I just pray that you would break our heart for things that break yours that you would give us a heartbeat and a passion, that you would help us to resist peer pressure, the conformity that comes, to become preoccupied with stuff that doesn't matter. 
Help this to become our sole focus. This is what we crave in life. And so God, we pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.